we're finishing brewing things, I'll just say hi. I'm Shane, and um, I'm a person, so I've been told. This is Rod, another person, and together we're people. He's already introduced himself, but just in case you vagued out for a while there, certainly no, I I did. Um, it's lovely to see you all. It's a pretty good U formation we've got here. Everyone's staying out of arm's reach. It's very wise. Uh, we're going to be talking together today. We're going to be recapping together. Um, so this is a small series recap before we go into like a, a miniature break next week, as Rod uh, told you earlier, we're having Henry Churchill. Is that his last name? Churchill? Yeah. Very, very ominous, isn't it? So we're expecting great things from that. Um, speaking to us next week. So this is kind of a, a wee break in the prayer series. For those of you who have just started coming along, we're in the middle of a prayer series, as you may have picked up from my last sentence. Uh, so today's like a very brief recap, and because the main thing about today really is eating and drinking together. So that's like the main point. This is just some kind of um, frill on the side. Of the main thing. So uh, we started at the start of the year, we started discussing prayer as a community. And we began by uh, interviewing people and reading um, letters from people about how prayer works in their life. And as you can imagine, with any community, there's a huge diversity um, of experiences with prayer. But we picked out a few common themes. Um, and it seems like quite a few of our community are stuck uh, with the idea, with the issues of um, God not answering prayer. And so we spent some time kind of talking about the reasons why that might be. And um, yeah, just sitting with that. And one of the things that we kind of, the themes that came out was that our picture of God, um, who, who we pray to is, um, is one of the major factors into why a lot of us have stopped praying. And we kind of talked about this idea that lots of us have kind of got these kind of paper mache versions of God, but we've taken bits and pieces from all kinds of various sources that we don't really reflect on much. And then we bring that to prayer and then get um, hurt, frustrated, traumatized when um, prayer doesn't work the way that we hope that it would. And so as part of the series, we re- we're reconsidering our picture of God, um, we're taking a step back and having a look at um, who it is that we pray to and how that God might work in the world. And as part of that process, we came up with a oh, we came up with a bunch of um, Sam's fiddling knobs again. Um, we came up with a bunch of caricatures, um, such as Zeus, the disappearing dad, uh, Stalin, Santa, cosmic vending machine. Um, any others that, I've, that I missed along the way? Just, just for those who are here for the first time, the oh, Stalin no. one, because it's pretty obscure, isn't it? Um, I came up with that one just because Stalin was a big fan of the five-year plan um, and had five-year plans that, that usually involved thousands of, sorry, thousands, millions of peasants dying. Um, I thought that was a, a good image of um, the kind of God that some people think about when they think of God, a God that has this glorious plan. It's also kind of, um, anyway, I won't go into that. Um, I can go all Dostoevsky You've got on a you. self, self-edit and recap. Self-edit. <laughs> I go, do, do we talk about Dostoevsky or not? Um, it, the, the idea that God has a glorious plan um, that, and in the end, everything will, will work out in this amazing new heavens and new earth. But in the meantime, millions of people are kind of crushed and suffer in the process. And God, like Stalin, is like, ah, well, you know, it's worth it because the end justifies those means. Um, and that is certainly a God, an image of God that I struggled with enormously um, growing up, um, because that's in many ways the God that I was told to believe in, and I, I couldn't. Mm. Yeah. So this process um, is a process of if we. Oh no! Uh, oh, Sam got it working. Um, <laughs> guys, we have the clicker. 
So much power. Um, of, of order, disorder, and reorder, or orientation, disorientation, reorientation, or life, death, resurrection, or naivety, crisis, second naivety for you recall fans. Uh, so this process is something that um, lots of us who allow ourselves to <laughs> on the spiritual journey will go through. Lots of people won't allow themselves to go through this process, but um, it's quite healthy to do so. And across um, the Christian tradition, this has been a constant theme of people um, having this affinity for God and the God of their youth, um, then encountering, for various reasons, the trauma of the world or that vision of God breaking down and having to let it die and then have something be rebirthed in its place. Um, this is all throughout Scripture as well. Um, so we are opening ourselves to this process that for those of us who have got stuck on prayer and that God that we kind of grew up with died, that something um, might be born again. And we decided that because we're Christians, um, that Jesus is a really good place to start. Um, Jesus said, you know, if you see me, you see the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. And so whatever vision of God that we as Christians have um, needs to be filtered through the lens of Jesus. Um, we can't have a split trinity where you've got this loving Jesus feeding the children and this rampaging, spitting, frothing, angry dad who just wants to send them all to hell. Um, that, that's a split trinity, and that just will not do for many of us. Um, so we're attempting to let um, the Jesus prayer, which is this, um, reshape our view of prayer, reshape our view of God. So I'm going to ask Rod, my beautiful assistant. Um, I'm, he's the assistant when I'm talking, and I'm his assistant, so it's, there's a quality in it. It's okay. Very, yes, very Trinitarian or Jewitarian. Mm. Um, I'm just going to turn my back to you, sorry. Abba God, who is in heaven, blessed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Oh, more? You Please. do the whole lot. Oh, the whole thing. Wow. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Beautiful. So we talked for a couple of weeks about the first four lines there, about um, Abba, about God, um, Jesus' view of God as God, not as the kind of cosmic, all-controlling, violent overlord, but as um, Papa, about um, a relationship of intimacy and grace and kindness. Uh, we talked a little bit about heaven. Heaven came out of a bit, of a bit. Um, about not so much as a place to go to, but in the um, Jewish view as a state, um, we're all as well and as it should be. Um, we talk about the first four lines of this prayer being kingdom-centric, um, that prayer functions in the same upside-down way as the kingdom. Um, and then Rod shared his beautiful counter-testimony of um, <laughs> when he needed God the most. Um, he disappeared. Uh, that God's will is not always done, um, and that if we are honest about the world, we um, must confront the fact that God's will um, is so often not done and Jesus praying, your will be done, is um, an admission of this, that that, um, that God is not always present in the way we want God to be present, that the things that God dreams of and hopes for this world aren't done. There's myriad reasons why that might be, and we've kind of nudged at a few of them. Um, either God just chooses not to do things, or God doesn't really care, um, or God can't, which is one possibility we were pushing towards. Um, so we've come up with two complementary frameworks or initial postures for prayer. Um, participation, and formation. And we're going to um, give a tiny overview of those two things. So prayer as participation is, an, is this idea of mutual, mutual invitation, um, where God is involved in the world, and so are we, where God dreams things for the world, and so do we, where God invites us to be actors in the world, but also makes space for us to invite him or her to be actors in the world. That God is alive, active, and involved, but that we also have some part to play in what God is able to do. Um, 
We talked about the idea that um, that prayer is not mechanistic; it's always relational. That uh, this idea of prayer as if I pray these things, then certainly these things will happen, is uh, not true to our experience, but also is not true to the biblical narrative. That that kind of prayer is magic prayer, where God is coerced to act, or the world is coerced into things. Um, but prayer for us is um, this idea of invitation. Um, participation insists on the idea that God is involved, that God is very involved and has always been involved in human history. Um, we often think of prayer in this way where there's this break between heaven and earth where God kind of sits and floats up there um, and then we're here. And then for anything to, to happen or change, God kind of needs to step in and break all the natural laws and um, step in from the outside and come down from heaven. But the Judeo-Christian view is that God has always been intimately involved, that there's a sense of dislocation, of disconnection, um, that things aren't as they should be, but that God has never been absent, that God is always present, that all good that's ever done, whether whether it's dramatic or completely mundane, is somehow connected to the life of God, that... Um, the way that our bodies heal themselves are as miraculous as any other kind of divine intervention, that all good is sourced in God. Um, So we create this false split where we think that there's kind of the way that the world works and then this hope that God will dramatically step in 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 particular ways. Um, And to think of things in that way just means that there's a view that God's mostly passive. Um, The participation model of God we propose that God is always active, that God is always loving, that God is always drawing things to the good, and that this is summed up in Jesus, that the incarnation is kind of like a symbolic model. It's like the the, um, the pinnacle of what's always been happening, that God has always been involving God's self in the world. Um, and an interjection from Rod would be welcome. Yes, here it comes. Um, Brace yourselves. I think... Uh, one thing that I was reflecting on as we as we sang, "Mighty are the plans you have in store," um, that you you know God awaiting us, um, my rock, my deliverer. That um, often, if if those images dominate our sense of God, um, that it kind of plays into that that sense of split. Um, so God. Is doing everything, um, and yet somehow, kind of in this other place, looking down and um, deciding how to to intervene, rather than, um, I guess the the image of wind. I mean, I've always absolutely loved the idea of God's spirit being wind, uh, wind being um, something that even in this space there is the movement of air. Um, we may be completely unaware of it, but that we are in this this medium which enfolds us and which contains us and which we are often unaware of, uh, but and that it doesn't it doesn't have power in the way that we often think God does or should have power, but that the power is more the power of flow or the power of um, of coaxing, the power of inviting. And yet, over time, incredible transformations can take place through the power of wind. Um, since we're on a Latin American theme, um, I remember going to this incredible place called the Salar de Ayuni in Bolivia, um, where it's a salt, salt lake and it's this altitude desert. And there is um, this area which is like um, a Dali, Salvador Dali landscape where the wind has shaped these rocks into incredible abstract forms uh, that look like trees or look like kind of crazy, surreal kind of um, shapes. And, yeah, it's just extraordinary to see what the wind can do, um, the kind of gentle, gentle wind over time can completely transform and one of the things that's happened for us over the last few years in in a whole bunch of different series is that we've started um, 
to see the whole story of God's work in the Bible as more of that kind of drip, drip, drip uh, of water, trans, you know, shaping rock or that kind of slow shaping of, you know, the, the splitting of mountains through the trickle of water uh, as we see God taking this Stone Age people with this brutal sacrificial system and slowly moving them towards the place where they were ready for, for Jesus. Um, and that that process didn't finish with Jesus, that God continues to move us forward, but in the same, in the same way, in, in that, that force of, um, of flow that is not brutal, external and coercive, but which, which invites and which, if we, if we don't tune into it, if we don't become aware of it, we can be completely unaware of as, as we're potentially unaware of the breeze around us right now. Yeah, maybe next week we'll be singing, Minute are your acts, oh God. <laughs> but seriously, because I think we train ourselves. I think we train ourselves to look for particular things, which makes us miss other things. Um, mighty acts have always been a part of the testimony of God, um, but so have small ones. The idea that, um, again, Greg Boyd quote, you know, when God flexes his muscles, it looks like Jesus on the cross. This idea of the weakness of the power of God, this sacrificial nature of the power of God and of the love of God. Um, if we focus on one particular thing and one particular form of good coming about, then we miss um, God's constant um, presence and God's constant action and God's constant wooing towards the good. Um, and then I think, I mean, I think of particular forms of church that I grew up in and the idea of um, their action in the world and what we were encouraged to do in terms of um, dramatic gestures, but very um, little in the day-to-day. And I just think that that form of um, love of God's power in those kinds of interventionist, violent ways um, begin to transform you as a person as well. And I think I used to, you know, think very poorly of people, you know, whose mission and work was to care for and love one person, um, you know, in death or um, in disability. And slowly um, my view of that has been transformed because when you encounter Jesus, you have to be prepared for the fact that often love um, doesn't look, Dramatic but faithful. Do you want to do that a bit? Just, I guess one other thing too is that um, increasingly I um, I want to move away from an either or um, notion of how things operate, how God operates, to a both and notion of how God operates, and um, which, which to me is the beauty of the image of wind. The wind can can be powerful um, at times. And it, we will, we'll get to this as well, just the notion of the miraculous, the notion of the unexpected, um, that we don't want to, to exclude that from our understanding of how God operates. But we just need to perhaps reframe it so that we, we're not talking about a God that can at any time do anything and arbitrarily decides to intervene miraculously sometimes and at other times goes, oh, no, I can't be bothered saving that baby who's dying of a brain tumour or whatever. Um, but that we're talking about something completely different where God is always doing everything that God can, but that the nature of um, what's at play, the nature of God being an inviting, persuasive God and not a coercive God means that um, the unexpected... It, can and, and always is happening and sometimes happening in profound ways, sometimes happening in almost imperceptible ways. Um, so I, I guess I think it's important to, to, to highlight that fact because we're not, there's incredible paradox always in the Bible. My strength is made perfect in weakness. There's always paradox there. So we don't want to create another reductive idea of how God operates to say none of those things can be possible. We just want to to reframe the way God's power operates. Um, so 
we also um, so we, we came up with a couple of um, kind of ways of kind of encapsulating this perhaps um, so that this first one in terms of participation is um, how prayer looks if you're praying to to Zeus to the to the out there interventionist God praying to Zeus means waiting for Zeus to act for us expecting lightning bolt um, praying to no one again this is refers back to what we're talking about before with order disorder and reorder um, so the disorder I guess is that time where we give up on God perhaps um, but that space of praying to no one means that there is no one to act for us but ourselves whereas praying to Abba um, means seeking to be co-actors and co-creators with the Abba God, um, expecting, as I said before, the subtle pull of the life-giving flow that is the Abba God, um, letting ourselves go into that flow um, and looking in every moment for the way that that flow is operating to, to, to pull towards the good and the beautiful and the true. And just, I guess, lastly, that this takes us back to the icon that we've been using this whole series of the Apostle John leaning against Jesus uh, in the Last Supper and the Celtic tradition saying that John heard the heartbeat of God in, in, his, in leaning against Jesus' chest and that that is um, this powerful image of what prayer can be, seeking to, to quieten ourselves to listen rather than speak so that we can hear God's heartbeat. Yeah, which has the possibility to really reframe um, how we pray when we have to listen first. I'll leave it on Rod's room. Okay, so... So you don't fall all asleep. I'm going to... Blitz through this to monotonous white men talking. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. We have got a, uh, we're trying to push through to a bit where we get some stuff from you guys, so bear with us. Um, so, formation. Um, prayer is participation and formation. The formation side is the idea that prayer shapes us. Um, and I was just thinking about this, that this week, um, I was thinking about. Uh, the Gospels and Jesus' description of kingdom life, um, the upside-down kingdom where um, the first will be last and the last are first, where the shape is a circle, not a hierarchical triangle, where um, where the poor are seen as precious to God, where we're invited to forgive our enemy, to turn the other cheek, to find a third way between violence and passivity, um, where we're invited to love our enemies, to bless those that persecute us, to give our lives for those who are outside of our tribe, to not trample on others on our way to the top, but instead to wash their feet, to not cling to the advantage that we have, but to risk losing it all for something more beautiful. Um, and my thinking there is that it's such a profound challenge to live in a kingdom way, um, and that these things don't happen on their own. They're not the default setting of human nature, um, to work, to operate, to function, to see the world in that way. That doesn't happen automatically. They happen because we fall in love with something more beautiful than the alternates. Um, as we fall in love with the kingdom, we open ourselves to the one who loves like this. It's not just a good idea or common sense, but it's an invitation into the community of God, an invitation into a, a, a unique dance, a flow. Um, so my little rendition of this in terms of formation is that we've chosen Zeus as kind of our main go-to caricature of the ones we picked just because it's kind of the caricature that holds the most hold over so many of us. Um, if you're new here and are confused by references to Zeus, we apologize. We just can't recap a 15-week series um, in that much detail every week. Um, but praying to Zeus makes us like Zeus. It makes the world seem more Zeus-like. We filter data, we filter the world through that lens, and we demand a strong and violent path to getting our way in the world. We're split between blaming God or blaming our own lack of faith 
or goodness when things don't work out. Praying to no one um, makes makes us risk being porous, um, unthinkingly absorbing culture, which isn't all bad but can be, um, and too often lacks a reference point for beauty and goodness. I've long been an advocate for people taking time out of organized churchy stuff um, when they've been involved in really domineering um, and traumatizing versions of what church life can look like. The reason being is I think that for lots of us, we need to um, have a clean break of some kind to disentangle ourselves from unhealthy power structures so that we can walk, maybe choose to walk back into them in a healthy way at some point. And so um, part of my job, particularly with people who often find their way to that church, their church, um, this church is to tell them to go away for a while. No, to encourage them with, for the possibility that you don't have, you know, at, at some point you may need to get some space so that you can renegotiate your relationship to it, um, which is, again, fiscally a very unsound piece of pastoral advice. Um, but it's okay. Hemi can live on rice. He loves it. Um, But my fear, my fear with that piece of advice um, is that we break from our engagement with something of depth and end up just engaging in a life of vacuousness. We are in a northers for the most part. Um, most of us are very privileged. Most of us have the option for very, very good lives. And that lack of resistance makes us very, very prone to lives of consumerism, to lives of titillation, just because I love that word, um, for lives of vacuousness where we live from one joy to the next but never actually engage in ways of the world, ways of living in the world which make us and the world more whole. Um, My fear is that disconnection with a community of depth opens us um, to just joining the rat race, um, to the consumption cycle, and to the comfort of our privilege. Um, and so I guess my encouragement always, <laughs> as sometimes you usher people to the freedom of the door, is to not forget interiority, to not forget depth, to not forget this path that we're all trying to pursue, which is to become more whole, more life-giving people, which is why I think potentially keeping Abba in mind as you go is sometimes really important. Um, praying to Abba makes us more like Jesus. It shapes us into, participa- uh, into participants and co-creators. This idea that God invites us to engage with the world in particular ways, that the kingdom life is not common sense, but it is, it is something hard, but of incredible beauty. Um, that praying to Abba makes us people who takes responsibility for our part to play, makes us people who invite God to draw all things to the good, who grieve deeply at the injustice of the world. Um, for me, as I have slowly freed myself from Zeus, um, I used to think the main reason for being a Christian is because you were terrified of God, um, <laughs> which is a terrible, terrible reason to be in love. If you just kind of translate that into boyfriend girlfriend material of or boyfriend boyfriend material, you know, I'm with him um, because if I leave, I'm terrified he'll hurt me. If you were to encourage anyone to love that person in real life <laughs> rather than in spiritual life, you'd be a terrible, terrible advisor. Um, what I hope with Abba Prayer is that we are with God because we've fallen in love with something far more beautiful than any alternative. The, um, one of our favorite theologians, Miroslav Volf, um, talks about the fact that our world has kind of been split into pleasure and meaning. Um, and meaning the fundamentalisms, the extremisms of, of kind of pure meaning. We have truth and, we, and the violence that that creates. And then pure pleasure, meaninglessness, um, where the only drive is for pleasure. And he says that joy is pleasure and meaning together. Um, and I think in a way it, it reflects these three 
different ways of viewing God. Um, Zeus as pure, violent meaning, um, then kind of the nothingness of ourselves and pure pleasure, and then I guess that the Abba God that in the the bringing together of um, of of pleasure of of the body of frailty of all the things that are to do with our incarnate self with meaning that gives that shape is is where we find the Abba God. So with our recap, either we brought you to a place where you're like, oh, that all ties together, it's wonderful, or we just messed everything up completely. So either way, we're filled in half an hour. Um, Tick. Um, So we'd like to invite you to imagine just for a moment um, that perhaps other God is like this. And for some of you, this is going to resonate really deeply. For some of you, it's going to be a lot of question marks. And for other of you, you're going to want to throw a shoe. But either way, um, what if God was always doing all God could do within the bounds of love? What if God grieved as deeply as we do to where God could not bring change? What if prayer invited us into a life where we, could, where we did all we could do to truly love the world as she does? What if prayer was so powerful it could actually bring transformation and change through us, in us and around us, yet so weak that it's ultimate symbol, it's a self-giving love of the cross? What if we viewed prayer and God's activity as participation and formation? So to close out this bit, um, we're going to just ask a couple of questions, which are in yellow. Wait, Rod, read. Yeah, thank you. PowerPoint skills. It's centered also, so not everyone can do that. I'll read the yellow questions. Um, so how might what we have explored in the series so far change the way um, you pray? Because that, you know, there's been a lot of talk, but the whole point of all the talk is for us to be able to pray again. So much, so many of us can't, have not been able to pray at all for a long time. And the goal is for us to be able to, to pray again, or even if we can't yet pray, to start to intuit a way that we might be able to find a space for prayer in our life again. Um, and the second question is just as we as we start, you'll be pleased to know we're move, <laughs> moving into the practical phase, as we move into the phase in this series where we try to apply these ideas more practically, what, um, what questions and obstacles remain for you that we, we still need to address? Um, so let's... Start with the first question. Um, think about it for a couple of minutes. You don't. No one has to throw their hand up and offer anything straight away. We can have a time of silence. That's okay. But just yeah, reflect on: Has there been any shift for you? Has there been any um, sense for you of uh, new possibilities with prayer? Or has anyone actually started to pray again or differently? Just have a minute to to think about that, and then if there's anyone that wants to offer something, then that would be wonderful. I I'm not really sure how it relates to these questions, but in terms of, I really loved the photo of Jesus and the Apostle John sort of leaning on him and listening to the heartbeat, and the idea that prayer isn't just us asking God, "Do this for me, do this for me." It's very much being with God and just being there in the moment. And I guess in terms of um, the idea that what if God grieved as deeply as we do when God could not lovingly bring change, just the idea of sitting with God when there are tough times and when something crap's going on in the world, just sitting with God and, and grieving together, I guess, and, again, listening to the heartbeat 
and yeah, being together. I really love the idea. Yeah, I think I've been able to start praying a little bit more for people. I think um, in the past I've had these ideas that you have to pray with a lot of faith and have certainty about what you're praying for, you know, know exactly what you're believing for. But I think now trying to think, like assuming that, of course, God wants to do something for this person that I know that's having a hard time, but praying in a way that's like a lot more open to how God might respond to that, just not being sort of militant in this person's having a hard time so therefore they need this specific thing. But just praying a bit more thoughtfully about all of the different types of ways that God might want to support this person in their time of need, that it might not be, okay, they need a job, God, you have to give them a job, that's the only sort of outcome that's acceptable (laughs) you know but it might be about all of the different ways that God might show up in that person's life through other people and comforting them and giving them rest and giving them encouragement all the different graces that might be shown to that person so I guess trying to see God in lots of different ways rather than being sort of one specific and focused has been helpful kind of taking on from that Um, I think it's been helpful for me to think of the act of praying as the faith itself. So um, with all the complications and these different views of God that we may have inherited or created, um, for me at least, that just led to not praying. And of course, that's not faithful no matter how you look at it. And so the idea of, um, yeah, just actually choosing to, to use my time in something that I'm not sure if it's really practical. I don't know exactly if it does anything or how it works, but the fact that I'm choosing to do that and lean in to God when I could be watching YouTube is automatically um, a statement that it's important for me and faith. I don't know if this is a response to the first question so much as the second one. It's sort of... I feel like there's been various different ways that I've prayed and they've all sort of been, I've always been able to, I guess, draw a parallel with something that I understand of how the world works in general as far as, you know, you'll, you'll pray to a God that, you know, you feel like if you approach God the right way and ask the right things and believe the right way, then God will give you what you want and you can almost draw a parallel with, like, a strict parent that if you if you ask the right way and if you've been good this week, then mum will give you what you want sort of thing or, um, you know, the, the, the God that... Um, or, or even yeah, from almost a completely different perspective, just the God of okay, well, you know, climbing the mountain to find a wise sage and going, oh, wise sage, I'm in a in this this situation and this prob- this is my problem. What should I do? And, and expecting the sage to give you an answer full of wisdom so you can go back down the mountain and and uh, and solve your problems and, and all those things. But then to come into into this place where none of those seem to ring true and none of them seem to really work anymore. Uh, try and approach prayer from another way where, yeah, it is so powerful, it could bring transformation, but it's so weak that it's ultimately used to the cross. And I can't find anything that I understand or that I can sort of look to in the world to compare that to. And so all of a sudden, trying to create or walk in something completely new that I have no reference frame for, which makes it really challenging if, if for no other reason than to go, am I doing this right? Is, is any of this working? Is this meaningful at all is this pointless what what are, you know what am i achieving by doing this am, am i going to come out of this feeling feeling better or is there going to be some positive outcome or is this just going to be a i'll look back 5 years from now and go nothing changed at all because of that it's really challenging to have nothing to compare that to yeah i love getting back to paradox i love this idea that god is Abba, so God is the most intimate, close and loving thing that we can ever know, and yet God is complete mystery at the same time. And that sort of, um, because it, yeah, it is such a, such a challenge to go, none of our images are adequate. Nothing, nothing that we can use as a metaphor for God is ever going to be adequate, and it can be incredibly undermining, which is where I think knowing... Yeah, God, 
God loves us nonetheless. Is that great? The image we used a few weeks ago was that um, that our contact with, with God is like the woman who was bleeding for years touching Jesus' cloak. Um, that just so just this tiny contact with the real and yet incredible healing can happen through that tiny contact. But it's also really confusing sometimes. Mike, have you got anything? Um, I found in my day-to-day just trying to um, find little snippets of God in everything and prayer and everything has really helped. And I realize when I don't do that, um, the world seems more chaotic. I don't know. Um, so finding the space to pray or to meditate and just to reflect and just like God listen um, is very useful. Sometimes I don't know if it's working or not because the situation doesn't really change. It's just more um, the practicality of everything. Can I jump in before we go to the next thing? Just on that, I, th- I think working is a really interesting framing for prayer that we talk about whether prayer works or not. Um, and I, I just sometimes think that like what you're touching on is far, far more helpful about um, how prayer functions or what how prayer shapes us. Um, this idea of whether prayer works or not very much comes into a, into a linear view of like prayer works when the things that we want happen and it doesn't work when the things that we want don't happen. Um, but what you're saying, Mike, that there's something far broader going on um, about intention and listening and participation and noticing and all, and all of these things that if we just use the frame of work or not work for prayer, I feel like we're narrowing it down to far too small a space, which doesn't encapsulate the whole of the Lord's Prayer. Um, does prayer work when we forgive those as when we receive forgiveness as we forgive those who sin against us? Um, yeah, it does, but that's not always the frame that we've been able to use. Yeah, I don't know if that helps or not. I think that snippet idea of prayer is really helpful for me because. I grew up in a church where our attitudes had to match our very pleasant sort of costumes that we wore to church every Sunday or whatever it happened. And prayer was always an important part of that. But that prayer that you feel on the street when you feel indignation or rage is an important one. And I had to sometimes realize that, yes, God is... God is big enough to deal with my rage. And those prayers at that particular point in time are important to bring us to the point of desperation and despair. That kind of God wants us to be in to realize that he's been there before and we need to use different spaces. So um, when I think of Jonah, when I think of Abraham sort of coming to sort of challenge God, in the past I would have felt like that's defiance to not let I can understand that. Do it in those snippets when you feel that emotion. Nice to see you back, Dan. Tanika. Yeah, just um, continuing on from Steve's comments that have been said. Um, that whole idea of um, us being asked to pray for our enemies and to love our enemies and to forgive those who sin against us. Um, prayer, prayer really helps me, um, like it, it really transforms me when I come to God with anger or with hurt or with grief um, and come to him and, and speak, just, just speak him, speak to lift my eyes to see him and to experience that um, his his peace and his beauty and how that really transforms me in in that act of um, of softening my heart towards that person of being able to find love and compassion for that person even if I don't understand their situation it's not it's not really like a 
a logical thing. It's about um, choosing to love even when it really hurts. And um, prayer is the only way that that's that I, I know how to do that. And um, and that it's got actually nothing to do with me except a willingness to come to God with that hurt. And then he does that transformation. And so, um, yeah, I found that a really interesting journey of um, previously when someone says, oh, just bring it to Jesus and leave it at the cross. And I'm like, yeah, but how? How? Like, what does that actually mean? But um, in coming to him in prayer and saying, I don't know what to do with this. Please take this away from me. And then experiencing the ability to forgive someone and and that I can meet them face-to-face without all that baggage of the hurt um, that was there a few hours ago is like, oh, okay, that's what that's what that means. Um, so um, I, that's what I have really um, enjoyed. Enjoyed is a strong word. It's, uh, it, it's been a really... Um, incredible journey to to suddenly understand okay this is this is what that means that um that prayer is about changing our own hearts and and getting literally getting that strength and peace and and compassion from god's heartbeat um i think that thing of like prayer working like for me throughout this entire series, I've not been thinking about prayer at all, but I have been thinking constantly about work because I haven't had basically any. And the things that like you miss about work, people think like you want a job because you want to get paid and obviously that's true. Um, but like the benefits of working are just manifold, like talking to people, having a reason to shower, um, like routine, which then frames your play part of your life. Um, you know, conversations with people that you wouldn't otherwise meet, like all of those things. And, you know, if you just, are, like, if you only go to work and all you see of it is the pay side of it, um, you miss out on all of that. And it's the same in terms of prayer. Like, if, and, you know, I'm the worst at it, going to God and being like, why didn't I get that job? I'm a mad snake. Um, but, yeah, like, the benefits of prayer are manifold. It's the same in terms of, like, I've been doing mindfulness and that thing of breath and God being like the wind, like, focusing on that breath is the same sort of notion. Um, and I've noticed sort of by going the opposite way instead of thinking about prayer and just thinking about work and being like, what do I really want from my work life? What what things do I actually miss? What things are actually important to me? That has actually, I've noticed that I've started journaling my prayers more and kind of following the whole spectrum of going, God, I want this, I want this, I want this. God, I'm so angry at you for blah, 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 blah. And then getting to the end and being like, nah. It's just really nice that you're still listening. Like, you can encompass all of those things if you're as neurotic in your prayer life as me in, you know, a single prayer if you've got time. And the benefits of being in that practice, it helps to frame the rest of your life and you end up having conversations with God that you might not have had if you just came with the idea of, I'm going to work at this prayer so I get paid with an answer. Um, I found this series very confronting and I think it's changed a lot the way I've approached prayer just because I think previously with different church experiences, I think for me what's been attractive about certain approaches has been this sort of formulaic thing of, you know, God's will and, you know, like what parent who loved their child would give them a stone or a snake or things like that and so therefore God's will must be this, this very sort of black and white thing and therefore if I pray for this enough then that will be given in time, Um, but I don't think it works like that anymore. Um, And so it's been more learning how to manage the discomfort of how those previous views have been challenged. 
um, very uncomfortable for me actually. And so how to then talk to God when I don't have that black and white thing to hold on to anymore. Um, so I think maybe it's God's maybe cultivating a bit more of an acceptance in me and in my lack of power or my lack of control over a lot of situations and then also just trusting that he will do what is his will, which is always good, I, I do still believe, um, but it just may not be necessarily those specific requests or in the timing anyway. Just aware of the children trapped in the room back there. Um, so we They've might, gone quiet. We might, Should we be concerned? That's right. So we might just do one or two more. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, I've been thinking about prayer over the series and um, and some of these questions ring true and um, and definitely in some ways it's changed the way that I would pray. But I think that a few things also shape the way that I pray and the reason why prayer for me is still far more um, significant and meaningful than just a pure meditation is that God gives me um, hope for the future, uh, that there's a uh, there's sort of a sense of, um, of, you know, the kingdom of God is like a, a, a vision of how the world could be and how I could be. And I think that that's, um, that provides me with an end point, with a goal, with a, a focus on my, you know, my personal transformation and how I can um, work with others. I think it's outwardly focused as well. Um, the other thing I think that is scary about prayer when you think of it in terms of how God can transform me and how I can you know bring about the kingdom in my own life is that there's a sense that God is giving me uh, agency and responsibility to actually do that in this world and if we are um, created in the image of God then you know we can't just be passive recipients of it all like we actually have an obligation to to go out and um, do God's work. So in some ways, uh, the Zeus God is comforting, but it's also very passive. Like, you don't have agency there. And all of a sudden, this this sense that, you know, we have some godly, uh, you know, God's kingdom to actually bring about ourselves can be very daunting and, you know, um, but cool at the same time. I wasn't laughing at you, it was just the screaming coming from the other room. <laughs> at least we know they're alive yeah, that's right. for the moment. Maybe we'll leave it there.